Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Father, we thank you so much that we sit here this morning, not merely as redeemed people, but as adopted children. And we're not adopted because you came through the hallways of humanity and you saw pretty kids that were adoptable, that had cute features. You saw us in our filth and our unloveliness and you called us, and you claimed us, and you made us more than redeemed. You made us children, objects of your eternal affection forever. And we sit here, not hearing just words from a creator, a sovereign, but we sit here hearing loving words from a dad who is utterly for us in Christ. So, Father, I pray we would hear today the sermon in light of our adoption. I also pray for our sister Joanne in the hospital who is adopted by you. I pray, God, that she would be in the sick hospital bed as an adopted daughter, knowing that she is loved completely, finally, and fully, even in her moment of sickness. And we also pray, God, that you would show mercy and grace on her body as she's there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, just one brief announcement. Uh, we're going to have the, the core class, basic essentials of the faith class at Tanya's house uh, right afterwards. There's leftover paella, so you don't got to pick up lunch. We just go over there and eat. So let me read the text and get right into it. Uh, we got to get out of here faster today because the theater is having something. So we're at Acts 2, verse 41. We're doing a part two message on Acts 2.41. So those who accept the message were baptized, and that way 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So let's just rewind a little bit. Uh, Pentecost happens. The Spirit of God comes down. People speak in tongues, and, and people are like, y'all drunk. They're like, no, we're not. Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven. Peter preaches a message. And then after the message, people are like, what should we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then after there's a response to the gospel proclamation, there's this group of people known as a church. And what Peter is doing for us, what Luke is doing for us, is telling, what is a church? What is this group of people about? And last Sunday, just to refresh you, I said, you know, what a church is will determine what we're about. Who we are will determine what we're about. So, you know, if, we are, if we're buildings and budgets, then what we're going to be about is numbers and money. That's who we are. If we are good moral people, nice old, you know, nice people, then we're just about getting better. That's who we are. If we are uh, a bunch of individuals, that's who we are, then we're just gathering here to get self-help. Or if we are a bunch of professionals, we're, we're coming here to what? To perform. If we're a social club, we're coming here to socialize. If we're magicians, we're coming here for magic tricks and a bunch of endless, miraculous things and, and whatnot. And if we are a corporation or a company, then we just come here solely to volunteer. But what, what Acts is showing us, beloved, is the church is the, 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 the community of the redeemed. That's who we are. We are a people who've been saved. So if we're a saved people, that means that what we do as a church is reconnect with our salvation. So last Sunday, we talked about the who of the church, the how of the church, and now we're going to talk about the what of the church. So what do we do in light of who we are? Okay, very simple. I got three points. What we do in light of who we are. So here's the first thing. It's the thing of who are we, and since we are the redeemed, what do we do to reconnect with grace on a regular basis? Here's the first thing. We keep hearing what has been done for us. We keep hearing what has been done for us. Look what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they devoted themselves to continuously hear the gospel realities that had saved them. Let me say, what exactly is apostles' teaching? Can, can you tell me what that is? Let me give you a, a good summary of the apostles' teaching. 1 Timothy 3.16. Actually, 15. But if I should be delayed, I have, written, uh, I have written these things so you should know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, 
the pillar and foundation of the truth. So what is the church? It's a, it's, a, it's a place that has this foundational truth. What is the truth? And it's most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. So here's the truth that the apostles have in the church. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed in the world, taken up in glory. So what is the truth of the apostles? What is the teaching of the apostles? What Jesus did who he is, and how our life is oriented around trusting him. That's what apostles' teaching means. It's basically the full story of the gospel unpacked. So here's I'm going to unpack how the first thing we do is we regularly hear what's been done for us. We, we need to hear what's been done for us mentally. Mentally. So you know how uh, parents always are reminding their kids about, about what they did? Don't you know what I did for you? Don't you know what I did for you? Why, why do you always do that? Because apparently they got to know what you did for them in order for them to be able to do what they need to do. So, so what Luke is saying is the church is a group of people where God is regularly reminding his kids what he did in order for them to understand who they are and what they need to do. So listen, beloved, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just the entry point of Christianity. So I heard the gospel, I'm saved, now what? The gospel is the entry point and the regular reference point of the church. They devoted themselves regularly to apostles' teaching. Okay, so let me break it down like this. Uh, churches, if, 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 if the, the church is a, a, a university, we only have one subject. You know that? So then you go to, you go to college and you, go to, you have tons of subjects. We only have one subject. You say, I don't agree. Well, think about this. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 2 says, this is what Paul says. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I only had one subject when I had a ministry in Corinth, and that was who Jesus is and what he did. So here's, here's what it looks like. But, but, but some of you may be saying, hold up, hold up. Pastor, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are not specifically Jesus died for our sins. So I don't agree with what you're saying. Well, well consider this. The subject of sin is really the topic that Jesus Christ is our rescuer. So yes, sin is a, sub, sin is a topic, but Jesus being the one who meets us in our sins is, is, is the subject of that. The topic of the Bible of the law of God means that Jesus Christ is a subject who keeps your, your law that you should keep. The subject in the Bible about holiness is written, the topic of holiness is really about how Jesus Christ being your substitute, your rescuer, your lover, is the one who redeems you and by grace and union with him transforms you to be holy. So holiness topic is really about Christ, the subject, or the topic of the church. What's the topic of the church about? Well, the topic of the church is really about how Jesus Christ redeems a group of people, and because of what he does, he unites them and brings them together by virtue of his grace. Or we think about how about how about the how about the topic of how about the topic of end times? What's the end times about? Well, the end times is about the subject that what Jesus did for you in the past is going to take you all the way home in the future. So Jesus is still the subject of the end times. Make sense? Or how about worship? The topic of worship. What's worship about? Worship is about how everything that God has given me in Christ then uh, gives me this posture of gratitude to respond. Or you may say, how about? How about discipleship? What's, what about the topic of discipleship? Doesn't the Bible talk about discipleship? And I'm like, yeah, but what is discipleship, beloved? It's a subject as to how knowing Christ and being in love with Christ as you know him informs how you live your Christian life. So listen, beloved, we, we are, you know, you know, a lot of times, uh, have, you heard, have you heard people say this? Like, oh, you guys are all theology focused? You know, we're about loving people, right? We're not, we're not about that theology. Have you ever heard that? No? I hear that all the time. Or, oh, you guys are all about that preaching stuff, you know? We're, we're really not about that preaching stuff. We're, we're, we're about practical things. Um, so we're, 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 we're practitioners or we're practicing. But, but, but listen, listen. Luke is saying that the church was devoted to the apostles' doctrine. They were devoted to learning, listening, going deeper into things that were specifically about Jesus. That's what they were about. 
Okay? It doesn't mean it's not practical. It doesn't mean that it's not about living your life. But it does mean that there is this who is Jesus in your mind stuff that's so important. So we are here sitting down as little kids learning truth of the apostles about Christ. What is justification? What is redemption? What is propitiation? What is faith? What is repentance? What is incarnation? What is election? What is regeneration? You're like, whoa, those words sound so fancy. Beloved, they're in the Bible. So if God is telling you about these things, it's because he wants to put in our minds these things about the apostles' doctrine that we need to know. So what we do is we keep hearing what has been done to, to us mentally, but we also, beloved, we need to hear it exclusively. Exclusively. Remember last time I said that they were devoted to these things? You know what that means? That means that these are the only things that they were devoted to hearing in the church. So their devotion, their unique obsession with hearing something was always the apostles' doctrine. You know what that means, beloved? That means they weren't devoted to listening to everything else. Let me give you an example right now. I did this in my Bible study uh, one time. And everyone needs to participate, all right? You're, you're ready to participate? All right, I'm going to say something, and I want everyone to say something at the same time. I'm gonna, my finger goes to three. Ready? One, two, three. Nobody said, okay, okay, let's try this again. Everyone needs to talk at the same time. One, two, three. Jesus Christ died for our sins and he's raised for our life. What did I just say? Why, 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 why couldn't you hear what I was saying? Because there's too many voices. Right? So, but what Luke is saying, when everyone is speaking into the church prophetically, we cannot hear the apostles' doctrine. So we're not listening to all the other chatter as we come here. Beloved, we don't come here to, to, to preach CNN and Fox News. Newsflash. We come here to hear the apostles' doctrine. We don't come here to listen to society's teaching, the culture's teaching, the philosopher's teaching, the religious general thinking's teaching. We come here to hear what? The apostles' teaching. We don't come here to listen to apostle so-and-so's teaching or prophet so-and-so's teaching. We come here to listen to what? The apostles' teaching. The 12, we don't come here to listen to Desiring God's teachings or Gospel Coalition's teachings or, or you know, White Horse Inn's teaching. All good stuff. We don't come here to preach that. We come here to preach apostolic revelation. Okay? I feel like in the church oftentimes it comes, the church becomes John MacArthur says or, or John Piper says. But, beloved, that's not what we're devoted to, even though those people can be helpful. We don't come here. Beloved, to listen to motivational speech, political speech, self-help speech, pep talk speech, or any other kinds of speech. Beloved, we don't come here to do skits and plays. We come here to hear the apostles' teaching. I mean, remember, and if you think, why, why is that? Why is that? Why are we so narrow? Well, because just remember the exercise? What happens when every, when every, when every voice is being spoken about different things in here? We can't hear each other. So we are exclusively devoted to, and beloved, when it says they were devoted to apostles' teaching, it wasn't like, you know what, Christ-centeredness was a seasonal thing, it was a year thing, it was a series thing. Like Christ-centered messages, the apostles' doctrine, that was it. So it's not like, man, like we had a six months of Christ-centered messages. Now let's just have six months of us-centered messages. No, the apostles' Doctrine, Christ, who he is and what he done, becomes the one subject that remains in the church. It's exclusively a reality. So we are immensely committed to the apostles' doctrine. We are exclusively committed to the apostles' doctrine. And here's the third thing I'd say about the hearing what's been done to us. We are fiducially committed. Now, I just want to rhyme, okay? Fiducial, fiducially just means trust, Okay? Like, no one knows that word probably, but I still want to say it because it rhymes with exclusively and mentally. So just trust, okay? All right? We relate to the apostles' teaching by trusting. Look, listen, listen. Notice it says, they were committed to the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine is categories of truth, right? Let's say they were committed to the apostles' commands, the apostles' doctrine. 
Now, if you read any of the apostles' letters, there is commands. No doubt, okay? But the way the church is summarized as as being a people who are first believing things about God, second, doing things, okay? So they are committed to understanding with the mind things about God that must be trusted. That's who we are. Beloved, Christianity is not ethics kind of uh, preoccupation where we come here and we teach ethical lectures and, and, and how to be this and how to do that. Christianity is firstly things that we believe about God that then inform and transform our lives. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So Peter, uh, Paul begins to talk about marriage. And then he says, as he talks about marriage, he says, Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So as he talks about marriage, he gives a doctrine of atonement to be believed as he talks about marriage. Or when he talks about worship in, 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 in Romans 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Before that, he says, by the mercies of God which means the doctrine of God's grace is what I need to trust to offer my body to God. Or another example about how about, how about, how about the doctrine of sanctification and holiness? You know, like Paul says in, in Colossians 3, put to death things that are world in your body. You know what he says before that? The verse we just read. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So as he begins to talk about what we should do in putting away sins, he begins to teach about, about the doctrine of union with Christ. What we need to believe about who we are in Christ to put away certain things. Or how about, you know, considering one another as, you know, more important than ourselves in Philippians 2. You know what Paul says when he, when he begins to talk about considering one another? He says, have this mind that was in you that was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And when he was found in likeness of man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even the death on a cross. So as Paul begins to say, you guys should be considered, he begins to teach doctrine about the incarnation of Jesus, his saving, loving, hum- humiliating sufferings for our sins that we should trust as we consider the call to be considered one another. You want another example to get the point? I got three more ideas. You want one, two, or zero? You guys got it? Someone said two more. How about one more, okay? So just think about this. Uh, In Ephesians 5, Paul says, hey, you should not be immoral. We should walk in love. But what does he say? He says, as Christ offered himself a fragrant sacrificial offering to God. So he says, believe the, sac- the doctrine of Christ's sacrifice, not because of you and your sinfulness. Believe that love. See it and live on the aroma of it as you consider the call to be loving. So this is why the church is said to be committed to the apostles' doctrine and teachings because, beloved, we're not Mormons. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses with Jesus sprinkled on top. You know what Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are? They say the same, they, they believe the same ethics that we do, right? In many ways. They look at the Bible and they say, we should, yeah, I agree with that. But the difference is, beloved, is that we are first believers of truth that is about Christ, our Savior, and we live from that. So, beloved, we we are committed to hearing what's been done for us in our minds exclusively and in a manner that we're always looking to what we need to trust about God to live for God. We we are operating from trust. So, firstly, what do we do? We keep hearing what's been done for us. Secondly, what we do is we keep seeing what has been done for us. We keep seeing it. It says, they devote themselves to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. So the breaking of bread, Lord's table. Now, let me do a little bit of a nerdy uh, Bible uh, teaching stuff. Can you indulge me for a second? Okay, so if, if you look at the sentence, you can't see it up there, but it says the apostles' teaching, and then there, in, in, in the Greek there's a, there's a conjunction. You can see it in the English, but it's a little bit more emphatic. And it says the apostles' teaching and 
the breaking of bread, fellowship and the breaking of bread, and then there's an and, prayers. So there's a separation between apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread and prayers, but not between fellowship and breaking of bread. Meaning that fellowship and breaking of bread are speaking about the same reality. The word for fellowship in the Bible is communion. So communion and breaking of bread are two ways of describing the table. You follow me? It's not a separate idea. Fellowship and breaking bread. It's apostles' teaching and communion, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. Three categories. Teaching, table, prayer. You follow me? Somewhat. 50%? 2%? Okay. So and I'll explain more about that later. So, so we, we must be, beloved, first, secondly, devoted to what seeing what has been done for us. So, beloved, the church needs not just to be committed to doing, hearing the gospel, but we got to touch the story, see the story, taste the story. It's not just hear the story. They were devoted to not just hearing, but tasting, touching, and seeing the story. And, beloved, you know what's interesting? What is the one thing that God commands a church to regularly see and, and be memorialized in the church? The table. Baptism is once. Consider this. Jesus did not make a memorial of his teachings, of his example, of his sermons, of his laws, or anything else. He said, I want you to memorialize and regularly have a drama that's visual of me being sacrificed crucified in the midst of your sinful depravity that my blood covers. He says, I want you to regularly see salvation in the church. That's the point. You know what's interesting? Isn't our our society a little bit repulsed with death? We don't want to talk about death, right? That's ugly. In the church, I feel like that attitude. You know, all this death and cross and blood, let's talk about loving each other. Let's talk about the resurrection. Let's get over that. But, but, but Peter's saying, listen, Luke is saying, the church is utterly committed to regularly seeing, tasting, and touching Jesus, the bloody sacrificial lamb. Like, we are committed to seeing that story over and over and over. That's what we're about. And, and so, here, let me, let me say something else about, about just we see the gospel, not just hear the gospel. Beloved, Luke is saying that what's an, you know what's interesting? Is, is there anything impressive about that bread over there? Yeah, we got real bread over there, you know. We don't, we don't got that like little like chiclet stuff. Jesus is the chiclet bread of life. I don't know. I don't think it conveys it to, to I don't know, whatever. Um, so is there anything impressive about the bread and that, and that, and that, and that wine or grape juice? We have both. Luke is saying that the church was committed to things that were not very impressive because they were connected to the love of God in Jesus Christ. Meaning that, beloved, we don't need to come here to, to experience some concert laser show experience. We don't need to see some concert laser show experience. What do we need to see? Bread, wine, that point to your lover's one-way love for you on the cross that makes you a child. You're going to come here to see exorcisms and, you know, like, uh, you know, people like the whole, everyone on the wheelchairs getting out of wheelchairs. We don't, we don't need to come here, beloved, to see these impressive, climactic, you know, uh, cinematic things. We come here to see bread and wine because we realize that Jesus' love for us and whatever conveys that's enough. It's enough, beloved. Let me, let me say this. The, the, the laser show in the church is the table. Y'all coming to see something impressive, right? The laser show in the church is something very unimpressive, but it's very amazing and significant because it's, it connects us to our Savior's work. So, it's an, beloved, we come here to see salvation. We come here to see that, that simple things are enough. Beloved, we also come to see salvation in its final state. Beloved, when Jesus did the table, what does he say? He says, for, for the forgiveness of sins. You know what it means? That this table is God telling you every Sunday your sins are forgiven because Jesus was broken already. Okay? So I think oftentimes, because of all the fake Christianity and loose Christianity, 
The church becomes a place not to deliver deliverance that happened already in Christ, but to scare people to see, are you really a Christian? And every message, every sermon, every table becomes this kind of six steps to be delivered based upon what we're saying you should be doing. But, but, but Peter, Luke is saying, listen, you come to church, Christian, to see a table that says your sins were forgiven because Christ was crushed for your sins. He wants to regularly put that in your face and in your mouth. That's the focus. Not this perpetual insecurity, fear, and whatnot that always becomes obsession. The church, we come here to see deliverance. Isn't that great? Beloved, isn't that amazing? Isn't everything else in our life, there's always something else we got to do? There's always more to do. It's never done, right? Right? You're never losing enough weight. You're never being an organ. Your house is never clean enough. You'll never have enough money, Miami people, right? Isn't that exhausting? You don't have enough friends? Oh, man, but we get to see done every week in the table. Finished. Over and over and over. We get to live in the freedom of that as we live our lives. So everything else is unfinished, and by all means, keep unfinishing your life. But this is done. This is done. Something else is interesting about God saying we need to see his salvation. Beloved, it's telling us, God is telling us, every, day we, every time we see this, we see God's attitude towards his people. So you know when we go to the beach? When we go to the beach, we don't know how the beach is going to be, right? The beach could be wavy, okay? It could be undertow, dangerous. You don't know, right? You got to depend upon the sign. Beloved, you know what Jesus is saying by putting these signs to be regularly experienced by the church? He's saying, you know how God feels about you right now? He's satisfied because Christ was crushed for you. He's pleased because you're in Christ and his body and blood that covers you. He is satisfied, beloved. So this is not us coming to the table of the church. And you know what? You know, remember it was like in the house sometimes? Some of y'all grew up in like, you know, very uh, dysfunctional houses. And you didn't know how dad was going to be feeling towards you at the table. Because it depended upon how his day was, how your day was, right? Beloved, God the Father wants the church to see on a regular basis that dad is utterly for you, utterly with you, and utterly pleased with his kids because they have been experiencers and tasters and believers of the grace pictured in this table. We regularly come here to see that God is pleased. Let's say one more thing about what we see and in, in see in salvation, beloved. Notice that God wants you to feel love by giving you external pictures. These are things outside of you coming into you, right? So, beloved, you're not, you, know, you, know, you know what the x-ray is like? You go to the ER and the x-ray looks, it shows you what's in you to kind of give you an idea of how, where you're at, right? Correct? Um, but... God is not saying the church needs to perpetually see an experience of the x-ray, but God wants the church to perpetually see outside things that, that tell us about God's love for us. So the church is less like an x-ray uh, place, more like a picture or a museum where we see things outside of us that tell us something about God, beloved. You should come here to see about preaching coming to you Bread and wine coming to you from outside of you to tell you about your relationship with God, as opposed to perpetually looking within yourself to find yourself satisfying to God. He's saying the church regularly comes to see, beloved, outside things coming to them to assure God's people of his favor. So we come here, beloved, to see salvation. But notice that it doesn't just say that they did the Lord's table sometimes. It says they were devoted to it, right? Devotion, present tense in like a very personified sense. They were passionately devoted to seeing the gospel. You know why they were passionately devoted to seeing the gospel? Because they always thought they needed the gospel. And because they always thought they needed the gospel, they were perpetually always wanting to see the gospel. It wasn't like, you know what? 
We can see the gospel sometimes because I think there's weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks that we can go on kind of not seeing God's grace. We kind of, you know, we can hear God's grace. But it says a church was regularly, consistently, emphatically, always needing to see, taste the drama of God's grace in the table. They got to see it and experience it. They were devoted to seeing God's grace. Beloved, you know what? You know what's important about this? You know what we tend to feed on as people? What do we tend to feed on as people? You feed on your relationships, don't you? Regularly. You feed on the status of your relationships. What nourishes your soul is how your husband is, how your wife is, how your you feed on that. And you know what it leaves you? It leaves you hungry, right? Ladies, you feed on your image and how you look. And you know what it always leaves you? Hungry. Men, you feed on your capability and your vocational abilities and, and, and whatnot. And you know that always leads you insecure and hungry. Luke is saying the church needs to regularly feed and find nourishment and satisfaction, not in what they see in themselves, but what they see in Lord Jesus made visibly crucified in the table. We feed and nourish our souls by what we see in the fellowship and the breaking of bread. There's something else I want to say. You know what? It's interesting, beloved. I think, and I understand the need for this, but it's interesting. In the church, we always have announcements, right? Generally speaking, we always have announcements. We always have greeting time. Hi, brother. Let me, let me shake your hand. I don't know you, but let me do the awkward. You know, we have greeting time. We have we have. Giving sermons, every, every Sunday we have a five-minute, you know, lecture on how to give, right? And we have, a, you know, altar time. Look, I don't, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but did God command any of those things to be weekly practices? Have a five-minute lecture on giving every Sunday? Have a greeting time every Sunday? Have an, no, but what we do see in Acts is like, you know what y'all need to do all the time? Taste. See. God's crucified grace that assures you that God is for you. He says, you better be devoted to that. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. You shouldn't do them regularly. But what we're saying, what do we do as a church, beloved? We see the gospel as a lifestyle in the signs of God's grace. But let me get back to the, remember the thing I was saying about how communion is another way of saying the breaking of bread? So Jesus is saying, or Luke is saying, that this table is a communion with God. It connects you to God. Now, the word communion for, is said here. It's the same word for communion with the Holy Spirit, communion with Christ, communion with the saints. So let me give you a picture that may be helpful because we're not, we're not Roman Catholics, okay? This is not transubstantiation. We're now Christ is being re-sacrificed, okay? Um, but if you, let me give you a picture. If you were to go out of town, okay, and you cooked a bunch of meals for your family when you ran out of town. And on top of that, you recorded a bunch of videos and wrote a bunch of letters. Would you say that when you're gone, that those things that you left for them is a real connection to you? It's not you, but it's a real connection to you. So this is not God. This is not Christ. But because it truly pictures Christ. It truly represents Christ. It truly connects us to Christ. Beloved, you come to the table to see a gospel that truly connects you to the living God. So it's not just, I hear a lot of times in church, this is about the past and nothing's happening here. Or this is just a present moment to get right with God. But what Luke is writing very specifically and saying communion next to breaking of bread is that we come here, beloved, to truly experience our Lord as we see him pictured in the gospel. That means God truly assures you of his love for you as you eat and drink in faith. You truly are built up and unified with Christ and built up with your brothers and sisters. You're truly told that you are loved. You truly experience the grace of God anew as you eat and drink in faith. Look, this is not just elements that are all about 
some past event, beloved. This is God's pictures and tokens of his affection that actually connects you to him in the present. Understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying? This really connects us with the God of the gospel. And beloved, it sets a pace for the church. If, 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 if Peter's saying, listen, all y'all do is hear the gospel regularly, apostles teaching, and you see gospel regularly, and this gospel is a real communion with God, it's a real connection to the Christ who saved you, what he's saying is that, beloved, a church is a place to meet with God. Our church is not first a place for us to be entertained. It's not first a place for us to, uh, you know, uh, I guess get kind of helps for basic things in life. Though that it's, you know, it, it kind of results in that. It's not first a place to get victory for things in your life. It's not first a place to get motivation. It's not first a place for all these things, but it's, it's, it's first a place where God wants to sit with his kids and just be with them as he makes himself visible in the means of grace. Beloved, you know, God just wants to be with you in this moment. This is why you're here. And the breaking of bread is this regular connecting point to the God who wants to be with his kids. So, beloved, so let me unpack what I just said. So first thing, we need to see the gospel regularly, mentally, exclusively, and in a matter of trust. Secondly, we've got to see this. See salvation. See it regularly and see it realistically. God's really connecting us with his grace, okay? Ready for the third one? I'm amazed how complicated we make local churches to be now. I feel like for me to be a pastor, I have to be like a community organizer. I have to be like a, like a, a politician. And I have to be like an like a entrepreneur. It's very simple. We're committed to hearing the gospel, seeing the gospel. And last point, third point, we keep confessing our need for what has been done. We keep confessing our need for what's been done. And they were devoted to the prayers. That's my way of understanding prayer. Beloved, what is prayer is nothing. It's simply just the actual acknowledgement that we actually need God. It's the actual acknowledgement. Maybe an illustration. So look, here's the difference. I, I could know what this water is. Okay, I know what it says. It's water and it's, you know, it's a great value. That means it's not good. It means that broke, it's that broke Publix cheap, <laughs> greatly cheap. Um, ah, Walmart, I'm sorry. It's Walmart. Remind me, Walmart, all right? I can see what it says, I, 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 you know, and I can know what it is, but in order for me to benefit from that, I must take it and feel a need to drink it. So we can't just hear the gospel. We can't just see the gospel in the church. We have to actually exercise a dependence upon God in prayer. And, and prayer really comes down to like four, four things. Confession, petition, uh, adoration, th- thanksgiving, adoration, and, then, and I think you could say mission. So you know what it looks like, beloved? We gather here to confess that we need God. So what do we do as a church? We gather and we say, you know what, God, I don't glorify you the way I should. God, we don't love you the way you should be loved. God, we don't obey you. God, we don't trust you. We confess. We acknowledge we don't trust you. We don't love you the way we should. We don't love each other the way we should. We use each other, ignore each other. We come here committed to the prayer saying we God needs you, and we fail you. And we petition God as we confess. God, please help my unbelief. God, please give me the capacity to to trust the righteousness of Christ that I've been given by faith. Help me to trust the blood of Christ that covers all of my sins. Help me to live in the power of resurrection. God, please, we petition you. God, I can't love my brothers. I can't pastor these people. I can't get over myself. I can't love my wife. I can't love my kids. I can't love my neighbors. God, we petition you that your grace would invade our need. This is what we do, beloved. And then we give gratitude when God responds. We say, God, thank you 
for washing me of my sins. Thank you for adopting me, God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for transforming me. Thank you for making the man that I could never be in myself. Jesus, thank you. And then we move from gratitude to adoration where we say, God, you are awesome. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the great I Am. You are the wonderful Lamb slain. You are the beginning and the end. There is none like you, God. We move from confession to petition to thanksgiving to adoration. And then we move to mission. God, save God, make your fame and salvation known to more sinners in my life and in this city. So we don't just hear the gospel, beloved. We don't just see the gospel. We live a lifestyle coming before God, confessing our actual need for grace in the church. And beloved, that's the weakest part of our church. We think we're going to gospel ourselves out of everything. What are we going to do at RCM? We're just going to preach more gospel, right? But part of us acknowledging that we need the gospel is being a people that pray. Pray and confess our need. So let me give some application, some more application or specific application about the three things that we do as a church. We hear the gospel, we see the gospel, we actually rely on the gospel through prayer. Beloved, if we're, if we're devoted to the apostles' teaching, we should be learners and thinkers before we're doers and feelers. You hear me? We should be knowers and thinkers before we're doers and feelers. Isn't it? And, and to be honest, I think one of the struggles of our culture, you know, we're not, we're not cerebral people, Hispanics, Latinos, and and. You know, and there, I mean, there's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of Hispanics and, and blacks in Miami. Like, it's, it's more Caribbean. Like, yeah, we have different kinds of people, but it's it's a very feeling-oriented culture, right? Doing-oriented culture, oftentimes. But we can't live in that reality. We have to be thinking, considering, meditating as we experience and do. People say, "I don't. I'm not much of a reader." That's what a Christian is, beloved. A Christian is someone who thinks about God's words about Christ. That's who we are. I'm not a reader. You're not a Christian? <laughs> you know? That's who we are, beloved. We are people who are thinking about God. And you know what, beloved? We're not just people that like hanging out with each other either. We're people of the word. We love to be under the word, hearing the word, devoted to the word. It's not just hanging out. But, but I say something else about applying this. Beloved, we should be... We should be redemptively rude people. You know what a redemptively rude person is? So we remember, remember how in the beginning of the service, everyone was talking at the same time and we couldn't hear each other? You got to tune out all the voices that are telling you what God is and what to believe about God. You got to be a redemptively rude person. And I'm not saying you, someone tells you something that's not apostolic doctrine. You say, I'm not listening to you. I'm being redemptively rude. Okay. What I'm talking about is living a lifestyle where you're perpetually not listening to all the religious nonsense that people are flooding you with all the time. Is that biblical? Is that Christ-centered? Is that Christ-specific? I cannot believe it if I am really someone who is a part of a people who are devoted to the apostles' doctrine, teaching. You should be redemptively rude people. Beloved, if we're devoted to moving on, if we're devoted to the breaking of bread... We should be driven and defined by simplicity. We should be driven and defined by simplicity. You know what, you know what our problem is, beloved? We're always looking for some massive breakthrough in our lives, right? Y'all make fun. Look, I love you. Y'all make fun of, like, the, 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 the word of faith churches because they all chasing, like, some weird events. But, but you guys, in your own way, beloved, you guys are chasing the, your miraculous breakthrough in your own way. You're looking for Jesus to show you something spectacular, right? And yet, Jesus says the church is a group of people who are not looking for some other miraculous breakthrough to define their lives. The church is a people that's just regularly seen bread and wine say, Jesus loves you. He forgave you. 
and now he's going to carry you all the way home by the forgiveness. We, we don't need to be looking, beloved, for all of these. You know, it's like me. I'm, I'm always looking for some, you know, what are you going to do in my life, God? What are you going to do in my life? Isn't that us? And he's like, hello? I'm, over, I'm putting in your face, in your mouth, in your very taste buds, the greatest thing that's ever happened over and over. We should be simple people. I think another thing, if, if, we're, if we're devoted to the breaking of bread, beloved, we should be people that are regularly looking away from ourselves to Christ. We should be people who are regularly looking away from ourselves to Christ and then back to ourselves as we look away from it. You know what, you know what, you know what a problem is, beloved? You know why you guys oftentimes we experience so much depression? Because you're always looking at yourself to see how God feels about you. And yet... The church is committed to the breaking of bread, which means that you should be committed to seeing things outside of you, pointing you to Christ in heaven to feel God's love for you. Because you know what? Your self-evaluation, self-thermometer is jacked up. You always think that God is not for you because you're always looking in the wrong places. And God says, listen, 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 right here. See this. Outside of you coming to you, experience that I'm for you. Last thing I would say about the table is, but we should be redundantly confident people. Redundantly confident people. Like, we should always be doing the same things and having confidence in the same things. Now, are you guys familiar with the difference between avalanches and glaciers? We don't have snow here, right? <laughs> okay, an avalanche, Miami people, it's snow. It's, it's snow that comes really fast, and it just kills, it wipes out all the trees and kills everything real fast. So if you're on a mountain, avalanche is just like this massive boom, and, and it just takes everything out. An avalanche is this piece of ice under the, under the surface that moves like you can't see it moving, okay? If you look at an avalanche move for 100 years, you might, you're not going to see it moving. I'm sorry, glacier. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And yet, do you know what has carved out mountainsides and canyons? Glaciers. What has literally reshaped massive pieces of rock called mountains has been these slow, steady, moving glaciers. And the avalanches, they just knock over a bunch of trees. So what am I saying? You know what the glacier is in your soul, in your marriage, in your Christianity? It's a slow-moving glacier gospel movement of God's one-way grace made visible in preaching, made visible in the table. What, is gonna, what, how, what God is going to use to carve out your Christian soul to be God-centered is this regular, slow, under-the-ground, not obvious movement of God's grace in these regular means. Trust me. Say, what's the key to your Christianity? What's the key to your maturity? What's the key of your, how do you, how do you nourish yourself as a pastor? I am doing the same things all the time. You don't see it right away. They think like, you know, you, you know what you guys do? You're like, oh, I've been listening to the gospel. I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been connecting with Jesus in the table. You know, I've been praying. But, you know, and it's like, dude, stop it. You're not going to see the glaciers movement and snapshots. You see it in the, over the period of a course of a lifetime. So we should be redundantly confident people. You think the, most, the most you need in your marriage, the most you need in your parenting, the most you need as singles, singles, you need to regularly receive reminders of God's grace in the places where he does so in his congregation. So here's the last thing I'll say. If we're devoted for prayers, beloved, we should be people of honesty and actual desperation and real emptiness, not just hypothetically so. Meaning that, beloved, we can't just say we need Jesus in some general sense, we have to come to a place where we actually confess that we need Jesus. We can't just be people that say, you know what, I'm a sinner and I need God. We need to come to places where we say, God, I am horrible at loving my wife. God, 
I am so obsessed with myself. God, I need you. Okay? That's prayer, beloved. You know, let me give you one example before I conclude. This is 47 minutes. Okay. You know what happens a lot of times when your kids pray or, or, or say things about God? They say things like are really like out there, right? They're like, God's boring. And you know what you do, good old Christian parents? Don't say that. God's wonderful. What, you know what you just did? You just robbed a real moment of need and dependence and desperation that the gospel could have invaded. Yes, you're right. That's where you're at. Confess your boredom with God. Confess you're indifferent to God. Confess the fact that you can't stand all these Christian things very often. And that's, that's what the Psalms are about. You know how the Psalms start? Can I paraphrase? Where you at? You whack. And then there goes this dance of prayerful petition and honesty and transparency. And out from that comes, God, you're awesome. I want to live for you. Well, we have to be a people who are honestly confessing needs before our Father as a people in prayer. If we're going to be a gospel-centered church. So what do we do? We hear, we see, we actually depend through prayer. Simple enough? All right, let me pray. Father, thank you so much again for uh, giving us a story about what the church is. God, we, we learn well through stories. In the midst of, the to- in the midst of our times where there's, there's a million experts, there's a million voices, there's a million things telling us what a church is and what a church does, God, we have a story. We have an inspired story that tells us that a church is devoted to hearing about your one-way love in Christ, seeing it, tasting it, and relying in real time on that grace as a people. Lord, help us, Lord, to be devoted to these three things. And may everything flow from that. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconciledchurchmiami.org.